1: Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Major Filipovic, and joining me is my good buddy Craig Hustins. Craig, what's going on, man?
0: Oh, nothing. It's been a while since I've been on the old PDO Cast. I know
1: you just ran away to Europe rather than coming on and doing the show with me. You um, <laughs> wow. went all the way to Denmark just to avoid being on the Hockey PDO Cast.
0: Well, I, if it wasn't for the time change, I think we could have pulled it off. <laughs> and um, the guy doing construction. Yes. Yeah, the drill
1: guy for sure. No, we're. Uh, Hopefully we'll be good. I mean, we're recording this early in the morning, so let's 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 give everyone a an idea of what's going on here. So you and I are going to do my show here, the Hockey PDO Cast, and then we're gonna we're gonna stop at like a very inconvenient point where like we're in the middle of a heated conversation, and then we're gonna transition over to uh, to your show, the Full Sixty, and we're gonna do a bit of a uh, a bit
0: of a crossover podcast. So this is like when. Uh... When a character on a TV show would show up on the other one, I'm trying to think of an example of that. Like back in the day on the sitcoms, I used yeah. to love that. All of a sudden, like Kirk Cameron was on. Yeah, you know, I remember Full I remember, House.
1: Or when uh, when George Clooney went on Friends. I know our buddy Dave Dave Lozo is going to appreciate that. <laughs> our friends. Um, so. Have you, have you been following the playoffs a lot? Cause I know obviously you went to cover the world championships in Denmark. So I'm sure that was consuming a lot of your time and with a time difference, it must've been uh tricky to stay on top of it as you would uh, in your regular day-to-day life. But, um, yeah, have you been, have you been yeah, it's,
0: up? it's definitely been different this year because I haven't traveled as nearly as much as I had at ESPN. And I mean, not even, I've only been on one other series in the first round. I did some of the Columbus Washington series. So, um, been more watching it from afar. When you go to the world championships, that you're basically in a in a kind of a little capsule by yourself. Like it, like it's it it seems like that's the only hockey being played cuz the games are on in the middle of the night or whatever in in the states or in in North America. So it was funny like you just you would find out the next day, hey, look, the Capitals won and and it it was a little hard to follow. And all of a sudden, you know, the big Canada-Korea game is all, you know, we're focused on. And it's it's like a bizarro world over there. So it, it was a little tougher. But now that I'm back, it's been all hands on deck and checking it out. Like that game last night was unbelievable with Wash and Tampa.
1: Yeah. No, well, that's a veteran move on your part, though. I, I feel like uh, I've never had the luxury of covering a world championship before. But just going off to Europe and just hanging out. And it seems like... Uh, teams for the most part give much more access than they would otherwise. And you kind of just get to hang out and I'm sure you pick up a lot of cool stuff. So, um, yeah, I gotta, I gotta get in on that someday.
0: Well, I mean, Chris Johnson, I did basically a whole podcast about how great it is from a media perspective. And I mean, this was no different. Like I had a day where team USA gave me full access to the coaching staff. So uh, at 8am I was in the conference room at the team hotel with Jeff Blaschel and Dan Balsma and Seth Appert and Don Granado And, you know, they're first thing in the morning and they're they're breaking down clips and here's what we want to show the team. And then I just followed them right into the team meeting where the team was waiting and watched, you know, each guy step to the front and give their, you know, performance and took the team bus to the to the game and f- sat in the locker room. It was crazy, like stuff you never would get to do during an NHL season or, or during the playoffs. And in that, you know tiny little window i learned so much just about you know responsibilities of players it was one of those things where now it's made me even more hesitant to to be critical of a player like you know we assume it's this guy's fault for giving up a goal you know this is he should have been covered in this area or whatever right and you know watching it like like it kind of taught me not to assume anything watching the different responsibilities it was it was fascinating
1: yeah, well, you have, I mean, that's, that's the trick with it. You, uh, there's obviously, there's a certain human element involved and there's going to be, uh, personal biases you create, especially as you create relationships and you get closer to the situation. So that's, uh, yeah, that's why sometimes I just enjoy looking at the numbers and making my analysis that way because it, uh, <laughs> it is it... <laughs> back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I want, so covering that tournament, did you get the feel from it that like people really do hold, um, like actual winning and losing it to um, like a high degree, like, or is it just sort of one of those tournaments that's obviously you want to win, and they're all competitors, but it is more so like you're kind of winding down from the season, and it's just a chance to experience it, or or are they actually gunning for the for the title?
0: No, I mean they certainly wanted to win. You know, one of the I remember talking to Connor McDavid, and and he basically, you know, I'm, I'm sure I asked it more with a little bit more tact, but it was like, you know, what are you doing here? What are you, what's your hope? And, right. and he was just like, you know, so he's like, I, I want to win this thing. Like, like he was passionate about it. And, but it definitely felt different from the U S side because they were playing for Jim Johansson who for years had put these world championship teams together. And which is a th- absolutely thankless task in the U S because nobody cares. Like right. the reality is, you know, the players barely care. The fans aren't paying attention. They're all watching the playoffs. Uh, It wasn't until recently that you could even watch these games in the U.S. on NHL Network. So for years, Jim Johansson was basically begging players to go over to, you know, wherever and play in these things. And so there was certainly um, kind of a, a constant presence of let's do this for Jim Johansson. And the Americans won bronze, which, you know, I think was disappointing a little bit for them. But, I mean, we've seen the U S in the past kind of screw up that bronze medal game and different tournaments. So you could tell they went out and beat Canada. Like there was something, they had a little something extra going on there.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I always enjoy the tournament. and I, It provides a nice little reprieve from, uh, from the NHL post season. And I know like it, it's awesome, really cool to see um, a country like Switzerland have success. And I know they they have had more and more in the past, but they're sort of starting to slowly enter that into that, into that discussion as one of the major uh, hockey players and, that final between them and Sweden was really fun to watch. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, obviously I prioritize my time right now with NHL postseason, but it, it, sure. it, it always does seem like that type of tournament where there's cool wrinkles and obviously kind of like, you know, we didn't get to see the Olympics this year, so it's fun seeing different players get to play with each other and see potential combinations. And it's just uh, it's kind of like this like a fantasy scape. It seems like it's both literally and figuratively so far away, but it, 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 it's cool to watch.
0: Well, the and then the other thing, kind of aspect is how crazy the fans are there. Like, mm. you know, Latvian fans are, are are ridiculous. And and talking to them and hey because you're just in this little tiny, you know, for us it was this town called Herning and in, in Denmark and and where Canada and the US were, were based. And it's this tiny little town. So if you're out having a you know a beer after a game, it's you know there's three or four players walking by to your left and a million fans all around and and uh, so you get a chance to interact with them and they talk about, you know, they, they save up all year long and this is what their vacation time is for. And this, you know, this is the priority of their, of their vacation is to, to go wherever the world championships are and, and just unplug and cheer on their country. And I'm like, man, what a missed opportunity for Canadian and American fans. You know, like if your team, if you're a Rangers fan and they're not making the playoffs for a couple of years, I would totally like if you could pull it off, find a way to go out there and just be like, you know what, I'm going to be like diehard Team USA guy for for ten days here, and just because it's it's an experience, you know, you won't get elsewhere. And these and there, I've never seen a level of fandom like you, you see at the worlds with these countries. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. All
1: right, well, let's 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 talk more about the postseason um, because that has been. Uh, I mean, I, I think people are tuning into this show and they're like, "What the hell? Ten minutes on the World Championships It's super." <laughs> that's, that's more than I
0: thought. I was there for ten days and didn't talk about it for ten minutes.
1: Um, yeah, I also want to talk about the postseason with you because I remember um, last year you were uh, transitioning to your job with Athletic at this time, and I remember we we got deprived of uh, Craig Custins' takes during the Stanley Cup Final, and so now I haven't heard much from you this postseason either. So I I, I think people want to want to hear what Craig Custins is thinking about
0: the NHL postseason. I you know what I don't get, Dimitri, is the the Vegas pushback. So maybe you can maybe you can fill me in on this. Oh, how this is anything but entertaining and good for hockey.
1: Well, I couldn't. Uh, where help are a, you at on that? I that couldn't debate. help but notice that um, a lot of the people that are providing that pushback uh, happen to conveniently be fans of teams that have lost to Vegas.
0: Oh, right, right, right. Um, so it's like, I, <laughs> I think there's a little Way something to that. Fans are like, hey, this is horrible for the sport
1: yeah i mean so i've heard this dialogue that you know this is an embarrassment for the league like how could this happen this team in this first year is making a mockery of the nhl postseason it's like i i mean if you want to make the argument that certain nhl GMs should be embarrassed by what's happened i'm all for that i think i mean the league obviously i imagine is very happy with this development it's gonna you know legitimize vegas as a hockey market i imagine if you're a fan of the team or we're on the fence you're gonna be in for the long haul now with them and As just for for viewers and sort of the dialogue around the league and people, you know, it's I I feel like the NHL really needs to, we always kind of lament how they don't do certain things to attract casual fans. Like, we know that the people who are constantly on Twitter and interacting with us are in on hockey and, you know, you don't really need to do much convincing of them. But then there's the casual fan, particularly in the States, where it's like, you know, how do we attract this person? How do we show them that hockey is... Especially in the playoffs, is is such an amazing product. It's so fast paced and free flowing, and there's a lot to like there. And I imagine a lot of people are having conversations about the NHL playoffs. And oh, have you seen what Vegas is doing? Like, I I feel like that's something that is happening. So ultimately, like, it's a a massive net positive for the
0: NHL. I imagine. I think so, and I I think the other thing it's done is it. Almost immediately solidifies Vegas as a market, right? Like so, I was in Atlanta that had not only didn't win a playoff series, didn't win a playoff game for a decade or whatever, and that's a really hard way to to establish a fan base. And and so you know now here you have Vegas making this run right away, and you see constantly on Twitter or wherever these fans that are like, I've never been to a hockey game, and now I'm I'm all in, and I'm going to practices, and this happens in year one. Like I, I thought, you know, they're they're gonna have a couple year honeymoon pro- period where they can do whatever and it doesn't matter. and Then they better start winning. Mm-hmm. And now it's it like this is best case scenario because you've you know quadrupled your fan base or whatever it is more than that I imagine. And now you can you can coast. And somebody pointed out the other day, they're like, oh, oh by the way, Vegas has a ton of cap space, a ton of draft picks, and you know we haven't even looked at their prospect pool. You know they had a good draft last year. Like, this wasn't even supposed to be a good team this year. And it was always about down the road a little bit. I mean, they're set up nice. They're set up real nice.
1: And, I mean, at the same time, um, like, I'll be fascinated to see, obviously, I mean, how this next series goes for them. But also in the summer, just how they choose to act and whether they, you know, kind of take this still with a slower approach or whether this year's success uh, pushes them towards, you know moving some of those chips in like we saw at the deadline for when they traded for thomas atar and maybe rekindle some of those talks for an eric carlson or whoever else is available this summer and whether they kind of you know try to build off of this and and really fortify it and actually go for another run next year i I, they do have a lot of options i I think the fact that they don't really have um i know people have brought this up but you know they did obviously get a clean slate building this team but a lot of it is also like there aren't really any bad contracts on the books for them like there's a couple that aren't aren't great, obviously, and they took some um in, injured guys to uh right. to get picks and to to get up to a certain uh level from the floor, but otherwise, like you know there aren't too many albatrosses on this team, and it's one of those things where now they can really build this team anyway which which way you want, which is can be both a good and bad thing, obviously right because it only takes a few mistakes, and all of a sudden uh you lose that luxury and we're talking about it completely differently but yeah, George McPhee has a really cool opportunity here to not just have this be a one year flash in the pan, but actually, you know, even if they were kind of overperforming and just crazy sports voodoo was happening this season and guiding them, right. um, they have a chance to actually uh yeah, like, like as you said, legitimize it and really um build something special here as opposed to
0: just being a one year thing. And well, so that to me becomes the most interesting thing because so it sounds like james neal like you have a couple potential landmines if you're george mcphee and that that becomes you know that is falling in love with this team and trying to run it back with you know an extension for 30 year old james neal uh you know david perron and some of these other guys that are that are up now it sounds like in early conversations i've had that james neal like there's this has been kind of a non-starter there haven't been any talks there so that to me indicates maybe they're they can they understand. I, I think part of the attraction of the Tomasz Tatar trade was you had a guy who's who's you know three years younger and signed for the next three years at, at a number that maybe you would want to pay James Neal. So I wonder if they already lined up his replacement. Um, so that's the landmine there potentially. And then it's the William Carlson deal. I think is going to be. I can't wait to see what that number is because you know which William Carlson are you paying right now? And and if you're his agent. I mean, I, that like he's been one of the best stories in hockey this year, but I, I want to see it more for more than one year before I give a gigantic payday there.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, I know it's, um, our our my buddy Matt Kane um does a uh, sort of based on past history and comparables, he puts together a free agent predictor tool for the, yeah what he thinks the contract's gonna look like this summer, and I, I don't have it up in front of me right now, but I, I believe Will Carlson's came around like six years, five point five per or something um which is obvious yeah. i saw
0: that actually so i did a story for the athletic on the red wings because you know they have they have dylan larkin and anthony matha so i took those numbers made some calls and was just like hey you know how how do we feel about these matt kane numbers and it, first of all it was interesting because a few of the people i called you know one person was like i, I have no idea what you're talking about but a <laughs> couple of them were like oh yeah you know i saw those and it's you know, I always find it interesting that they're looking at, you know, people on teams and front offices are looking at the same thing we are.
1: Craig, who's the person at, who who's the person that's not on Twitter?
0: <laughs> no, I know. But like, if you're, I don't know, if you're a capologist or yeah. something, are you, I, but like their attitude is, it's just one more opinion. Like it doesn't hurt to, to check out what it is. And, and, and Carlson was one of them that came up. We were, you know, as I was just talking to somebody, we were going through some of the more interesting ones and and they were like, what's, you know, what's the Carlson number? And it was like, ah, you know, that seems fairly reasonable. Like he's a guy, whatever he's just, so I'm looking at it now. He shot 23.4% this year. So, I mean, every alarm bell should go off in the world there. But even if he knocks it down in half, we're still talking about a 20 goal scorer.
1: Well, and the trick is um, like Matt, Matt does a great job with that. And I think it's a really uh, useful tool. But in a case like this, I mean, it's just, I don't want to say it's necessarily completely unprecedented i'm sure it's happened in the past where a guy just took this big of a step at this point in his career um but like it's this isn't a normal
0: trajectory right so like trying to figure out you know how the team when when has never? i i don't know if i've ever seen this a guy that goes from 6 to 43 in a full season right it's not like he played 20 games last year you know what the thing is and and you're right
1: obviously i mean the first thing you have to talk about is that shooting percentage and um he's not going to score 40-something goals next year. But you watch these games and you watch them play and you watch how that line works and sort of what they're doing and, like, as the year has gone along, I understand, like, there was initially a pushback, like, oh, this is a cool story, but it's no way it's going to last. And then now, right. like, I I just love the way that line and this team plays and um, just in, purely in terms of, like, you saw what they were doing in Winnipeg in that series and what they've done throughout this entire postseason, but it was especially glaring seeing how they sort of made Winnipeg look like they were... Kind of skating in mud at times just because of their forecheck in the neutral zone and what they were doing to disrupt that and you saw how they created offense from defense with that and that top line in particular was the best example of that and yeah I mean like there's a a very realistic avenue for them to continue being a super just successful dominant first line even if Carlson's shooting percentage comes down a bit and he only scores 25-ish goals next season like that's still obviously a very immensely valuable player and they have Smith and Marshall so locked up long term now both making five million per season moving forward. So I mean if they can get in that five ish million range, um, I don't know. I I, I think it's reasonable. And I know that sounds crazy considering we have just one year now of him being this type of player, but I I think that I think I think that's a pretty reasonable estimate to be honest.
0: Yeah, no, I think five is I mean, because if he had three forty goal seasons, we're talking nine. So like to me so I, I think five does take into consideration that you know, it's only been one season.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, there's, there's, okay, so there's two potential fallouts from this Vegas thing that I did want to touch on with you. I mean, obviously, uh, we'll talk more about them and whoever they're playing in the Stanley Cup final when, once we know that matchup, and we'll have plenty of time to dissect that. But, you know, we always kind of hear how the NHL is a copycat league and how people are paying attention to what's right. successful and what's not, and they're going to steal components of that for themselves. And do you think there will be. Um, an overreaction to this both in terms of teams trying to replicate the success, but also, you know, the potential ramifications for Seattle and whenever that expansion draft happens and teams trying to make sure this type of thing doesn't happen again where their own players are all of a sudden making their way to the Stanley Cup final and making them look silly. And the reason why I bring that up is because as cool as the story is and as many different contributors as there are and the fact that I like I've said I think As the year has gone on, I've bought much more into the legitimacy of this team and not thinking it's just a a one-year fluke. At the same time, like you look at this postseason and when your goalie's giving you a 9.45 save percentage or whatever, all of a sudden that makes everything look a lot better. And I don't think it's necessarily a formula to you know, every team I guess could aspire towards that, but it doesn't seem like a very successful one to try and replicate year in and year out. So I wonder how different this discussion would be and where their standing would be if Marc Andre Fleury was performing like a regular human and not an alien sent from some different planet to stop pucks. So I, I I don't know, like you think there's gonna be uh, a story this crazy lends itself to people overreacting and having hot takes and we've seen that on the internet and I just wonder if we'll see that within
0: front offices as well moving forward yeah i i think the the kind of just the broad first thought i have is is it provides some legitimacy to this notion that you know every team is probably not all that far off Mm -hmm. right in the league and and so you know we've i've been kind of writing ad nauseum in detroit about the best step forward and and you know the front office has been pretty consistent in that they didn't want to tear it so far down that they would created a huge gap because it's so hard to build it back up and you know i see something like this happening and it, and it does lend a little bit of credibility to that thought process that that even maybe tearing things down completely is an you know is a is a strategy that doesn't fit the league and where it is right now because, because then it becomes too, too huge of a climb. And, and so if I'm looking for areas to emulate or, or at least some hope, I'm like, okay, this team didn't even exist a year ago, uh, and here they are playing for a Stanley Cup. Maybe there's only a couple of tweaks you have to make as a, as a franchise. And the other thing is, if I'm a team that doesn't have a superstar center or a superstar defenseman, which, we, which I've kind of for years have been saying are an absolute necessity to win a Stanley Cup, now I have a little bit of hope that you know we can win. Like to me, it was like if you didn't have Crosby or Malkin or Drew Doughty or Kopitar, then you entered a se- you entered the season without an opportunity to win a Stanley Cup. Like that was I, I that was the one thing I felt confident saying was you needed that. Like the league is so even that you needed that cornerstone player in those important positions, so that if you happen to have a Kane, Taves, and Keith, then you're all set and. And now you look at this team; they don't have any of that that formula. And right. maybe we're overthinking it. And it's like, okay, well then you better have a goalie that saves nine forty. You know what I mean? Right. And and, and it, we can sit there and talk about Marcia So and Riley Smith and all these guys all we want. It may just be as simple as they got insane goaltending, and that can't be replicated. And I think that's the danger in trying to extrapolate too much out of this. Right.
1: Yeah. And only yeah, there, there's a certain side that just goes like, can we just? In- sit back and enjoy the story and it's obviously <laughs> right. remarkable and i guess if you're just you know a regular fan of the sport you have the luxury of doing so um i guess for us right it's like it is our job to try and make sense of this and try to figure out what's going on and what we can take from this to use moving forward and likewise for Because teams will be doing that. Yes. If
0: you're a GM of a team you're absolutely going where you know Okay, where is, or I hope you're going. Where's the next Jonathan Marcheseau? Like, who, who, you know, where? And it's it's all the things we've been saying now for a couple of years. It's the smaller skilled guys that are undervalued, and and we're seeing it on the in the East too with Tampa Bay. I mean, they they've just made an absolute living off of it. And I like I think it was Joe Smith did a story or somebody did a story. It was like, okay, what are the market inefficiencies that Tampa has has taken advantage? And it's the Russians that slipped in the draft after a number of years and and it's the small skilled guys. And so I you know, so now I guess the danger is the pendulum swings and everybody wants us you know, everybody starts going after those small skilled guys. Right. Like everybody wanted to be a big heavy LA Kings team. The the smart move is like, okay, what's the next one? I well, don't know what that is. Well and the other
1: thing and this goes back to the one luxury I think they did have from the expansion draft that's very real and you know like Justin Bourne wrote about this the athletic but it's like this team is mostly comprised of guys who are like smack dab in the middle of their prime. And obviously if you are building a team, um that's not necessarily something that you can replicate because you know, most guys that are worth something are generally under team control for those years and then right. by the time they're entering the unrestricted free agent market all of a sudden you know you're overpaying them probably for years that aren't going to be as productive for them so you can obviously target guys in trades but generally like if you're calling a team about a guy who's under contract for years to come and he's 23 or 24 25 years old they're probably not going to be very receptive to that trade so it's that's that's the one thing that definitely you know they've gotten to benefit from and, and kudos to them for identifying that but you know up front obviously like they didn't have that number one um Center, or I guess William Carlson has developed into that for them, but you know, they don't have the traditional guy. And we talked about they had a lot of success in the regular season, but come the postseason, is that lack of star power going to come back to haunt them? And then, um, like they've it's crazy that that line has basically outplayed Kopitar and then some combination of Pavelski and Couture, and then they basically yeah. play the Shifley line to a relative draw, which is a massive win for them. So it's just it's crazy that they've been as good as they've been and, and on the blue line i know they don't have you know that tr- traditional brand name stud back there but i do really love um the way it's been constructed and i think there is something to take from that i mean you look at just the way nate schmidt's played and i know that people were really high on him last season and his limited he was great in the playoffs he last was. year. like he was he legitimately
0: was. great for the capitals like i think of that toronto series like there was there was Games where he was the best player for the Capitals, you, so like that, you just watched Like that, right? like I, I think when I mean, everyone's talking about the, the the Florida Panthers, and yes, that's the biggest screw up here. But I, you know, I, I think the you know this the Washington's decision to, I, you know, I guess it came down to the backup goalie versus the defenseman playing twenty minutes like that. I guess in retrospect, maybe find a way to keep the defenseman. I don't know.
1: Yeah. No. Well, he's been. I mean. I remember last year um, I was sort of doing this like neutral zone project in the postseason, tracking the zone exits and defending the blue I line. I and, and Nate Schmidt was the guy that really, really stuck out as like, holy crap, this guy is, is very, very good. And and it's funny enough, one of the other guys I really loved on that was uh, was Shay Theodore. And yeah. um, you watch this postseason now and both guys have been remarkable. And it's int- like, I like that, you know, glance split them up obviously you have McNabb playing up front with um with nate schmidt on their sort of de facto shutdown pairing and then you have shea theodore with Derek england and there's like just a nice little balance there and then you look at the third pairing and colin miller was like created in a lab for like the perfect <laughs> ideal third pairing defenseman where he doesn't have to play tough minutes but he can really do a lot of good stuff as soon as he gets the puck and so all of a sudden it's like yeah you can sort of none of these guys were necessarily um guys you would point to as like holy crap Vegas got a loaded blue line but they're just have a bunch of really good players and maybe sometimes we do kind of put too much stock and overvalue um sort of hype and pedigree as opposed to just evaluating based on what the players are actually capable of
0: right so like again out of all those guys you mentioned are are any of them top pair I I mean I guess Theodore and Schmidt at this point you, you you could argue but I mean, it goes it goes completely against this notion that you need that that thirty minute a guy defenseman to anchor your D uh, to win a Stanley Cup, and uh, you know I I don't know. And the other thing is, I, I wanted to kind of circle back on you, is you mentioned okay, well these are all guys in their prime, and you know typically you would you would look at a, a Stanley Cup run, and a lot of times there's that that twenty two twenty three year old entry level guy that's driving the train, right that and that, again, that doesn't exist. So these are all guys, 26, 27, and and you know statistically we talk about the prime being much younger than that now. That but I I know I've gotten a lot of pushback talking to people in the game, and they're like, you know, you know, well I've gotten in arguments over prime ages, and they're like, yeah, maybe statistically 23 you're putting up your best numbers, but you really don't know what you know. 27 is when you really know what you're doing as a hockey player in terms of winning games and and how to kind of navigate the league and this is kind of playing out that like really Shea Theodore is the only guy in that lower range that's a major player right well Alex Tuck as well I'd say yeah Alex
1: Tuck, 22 23 years old yeah he's he's been very impressive but no you're right and and it's obviously you can't evaluate this stuff or you can't think about it um theoretically like in a vacuum because a lot of it as we're seeing with his Vegas team is opportunity based and um just as we know, like how uh, developmental tracks work in this sport, like it's typically unless you are a guy who is taken right at the top of the draft and you're coming in with a lot of pedigree and you're being sort of, you get a beeline right to the NHL, right into the everyday lineup. Like a lot of this stuff is, is it's a big time process, right? And you're like, you're spending years, first of all, you're probably continuing to play in NCAA or major junior after you get drafted. And then you right. spend a few years kind of cutting your teeth in the AHL and then by the time you come to the NHL level, you all of a sudden you are at that age. So it's, it's, it's really tough to know how much of it um, is sort of the chicken or the egg, I guess, because if guys were given a shot earlier on um, maybe we really would know for sure that that, that, that prime age is younger or maybe it's happening for a reason. And maybe coaches have it right. I don't know. I'm sure it's like a
0: little bit of both, right? Yeah, no, I'm sure. I mean, it's, we're trying to make these generalizations where when every single situation is different and, I, you know, but I and my my sense would be probably it's it's more of a if you're kind of the elite elite player, it's earlier. If you're a guy, you know, a guy that has to figure it out, it's it's later, right? And mm-hmm. but but I, I mean, again, this just kind of goes back to this notion that there's there's more than one way to a build a team with successfully, you know, and and b no, it like no i mean that's that's like to me it's it's there's no kind of one blueprint to have success in the nhl right now
1: yeah yeah and that's what makes it fun obviously if it was just one way to do it uh, it would be boring because everyone would be doing the same thing um right. all right craig let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor and we will pick up this conversation on the other end of things let's take a second to chat about sea geek today's sponsor the hockeypedio cast uh as any of you that have had to do this in the past no buying tickets can be a really complicated and confusing task Uh, there's so many landmines out there and uh, you know different websites you don't know where to look you don't know what the best deals are you don't know if you're getting ripped off Um, and don't even get me started with the scalpers and None of that is necessary because there's a better way to buy and that's a SeatGeek. SeatGeek's the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're looking for a last minute deal, uh planning a night out with your friends, or looking to get the perfect gift for someone, SeatGeek's gonna help you find the best price seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Um I have the SeatGeek app on my phone now. Unfortunately, I haven't had the luxury of using it recently because I've been just cooped up at home in my uh, in my hockey-watching lair, just watching as much postseason action as I can. But uh, the end is near, and I know that this summer, I'm sure I'm going to use SeatGeek to get my hands on some baseball tickets or uh, you know some concerts or some comedy acts or whatever just to get out of the house and enjoy the offseason. Uh, but in the meantime... I hope you guys are uh, living your best lives and going to a bunch of events and hopefully you use SeatGeek to score some sweet tickets and send me a picture of yourself having a great time and I can live vicariously through you. Um, and here's the best deal. As my listener, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today. That's promo code PDO for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, let's get back to the show. Okay. um, let's should we touch a bit on on washington tampa bay like i yeah unless you
0: feel like it's going to be outdated
1: uh, No, we'll post this pretty much right away we'll post this it's still it'll be tuesday morning so people will have at least a day and a half or so to listen let's uh yeah i mean that that game six last night was uh was really fun obviously um especially for like a long while there it was it was scoreless and then washington scores and you just have the one goal to show for it and then I know, there's this camp that believes that you need a lot of goals to to create exciting action, but you know, you just watched that game and they were just it was, it was so awesome. back and forth, helter skelter, and they're trading chances. And um, it I enjoy the physicality too. Like you know, sometimes we talk about how st- stuff like that can be overrated, overrated and overvalued. But I thought like a lot of it was like functional hitting. Like, it wasn't just, you know, right, just, just guys ga- running just, around. Just guys who can't play, just running around, throwing crazy hits for no reason and pu- pulling themselves out of position. Like, there was a lot, especially, you know, I've ragged on Brooks Orbit quite a bit uh, over the years, and I-, I think he's been overvalued and overpaid by the Capitals. But I thought he was like a great example of that, where there were a bunch of times where he was dislodging the player from the puck when they were trying to enter the zone. And that's like the sort of functional physicality that definitely has a place in the league. And it was kind of cool seeing all of that come together and obviously alex ovechkin is the best example of sort of those two worlds meshing and interacting because he was just flying around like an absolute lunatic and it seemed like you know just you see he was around the puck pretty much the entire game and obviously he didn't play the full 60 minutes but it sure felt like you're watching it
0: yeah and how about smith pelly too yep. another guy that just was a, a wrecking ball can i here's another Think that so I'm watching that game and like where I, you know I'm sure like everybody else where I've got the laptop out and Twitter going and and so you know Ovechkin's running around like a wrecking ball and people are grabbing clips and I and I see this this kind of pushback people are like look you know if they lose this game there's there's gonna everyone's gonna say Ovechkin doesn't care now, like I, I'm not like people are making these arguments that I don't think exist anymore like are people really writing Ovechkin doesn't care still like. Or maybe they did back in the day when it was like, oh, he's he's got he's on the first ticket to Russia for the worlds or whatever. But right. I, like, I, I feel like people are creating arguments out there that that don't exist. I,
1: yeah, maybe. well. I'm sure it exists somewhere. I mean, it's like probably like the lowest common denominator
0: of society. Like it's like <laughs> right, right. it's like
1: you know we generally surround ourselves with either like-minded people or people. Yeah, who maybe are just, I've
0: maybe I've just like right. I've, I've you're not hanging like...
1: out in like enough CD bars where like people are just <laughs> randomly talking about just ridiculous <laughs> oh, no, stuff.
0: Ovechkin doesn't care. Yeah,
1: no, I I, I definitely like it's that's an, an insane argument. And, and you're right. I think that's probably at this point is a bit outdated. I'm, I'm sure there is. You know this would go a long way as weird as it's as it is to say like to not legitimizing him but i think the dialogue will definitely be significantly different if the capitals win this game seven and make it to the stanley cup final which obviously um is silly in and of itself because it's it's just one game and he's had such an insanely good career and it's a team sport and all that but for this team to finally get over the hump and make it to the stanley cup final and then all the storylines with them against vegas and nate schmidt and george mcphee and all this stuff like that would be very cool oh to gosh. see, and there's so much to talk about there. So, not you know, not to take anything away from Tampa, there's equally just so many cool things you talk about with them. But it's, I don't know, it, 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 they've played a lot of Game Sevens. I, I believe the stat I saw was like eleven of the eighteen series. Now they've played uh, the Washington Capitals. They have. Play, they've they played even, in a million. And in our, so I, sevens, I, yeah.
0: I wrote a story early on in the playoffs about how you know they've. All those horrible things happening to them at the very least has made them comfortable in these overtime situations, and and it was it was probably premature because all the comments are like, I think they were like one and one in overtime. They're like, what, you know, they win one overtime game, and we're just deeming them, you know, comfortable playing in these situations. But I watched that team last night, and it's like there's almost this you can you can feel it's like all the bad things have already happened to them, so they're like, screw it, like we you know what else can happen to us? Let's just go out and play. Like there seems to be an edge to them that I'd, I've i never seen with the Capitals. Like you used to be able to just feel the pressure coming from the ice and and how like they, there was so much pressure on them to win. And I think th- they're really thriving in this environment of like n- nobody really thought they were going to do anything. So, you know, who cares? And and um I, I like I think that's been beneficial to them
1: i care craig i care it's very annoying that after years of pumping them up and telling people how they were actually really good and we're going to finally do it and then losing to the penguins the fall the one the one year we were off the same. last <laughs> year was uh, yeah.
0: i oh that series was was unbelievable i'll here, and I'll, I'll say this i don't think it matters if they win game seven or not i think this this run has done what that sharks run did a couple years ago for joe thornton like it, it, with Ovechkin, I, like nobody says anymore that Joe Thornton can't win the big game or isn't isn't a guy you want in the playoffs. Like it's just a love fest with Joe Thornton now. Yeah, uh, almost universally. That like the only maybe you, you get a little resistance still from Boston that I think will never go away, even as he's walking in the Hall of Fame. But I think Ovechkin now, you know, we've seen how he's performed in these games. We we've, we've seen he's got a big enough you know that his numbers in elimination games are great. Um, I, I think that 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 narrative, regardless of what happens here, is gone in terms of his performance in big games.
1: Yeah, I think so. He's been he's been remarkable, and he really has elevated his game. And it's 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 crazy because he's turning 33 this fall, I believe. And you know, he's played so many games, and the way he plays, and we don't really talk about this side of it that much with him, but it does remind me a bit of of LeBron James in the NBA, where it's like there's this. It just feels like he's sort of like indestructible kind of like he's built just differently yeah. than everyone else and Russian machine yeah no but that's the thing right it's like if you look at the full track record like a lot of the games he has missed have either been you know imposed rest or suspension or or this and that Or like you remember he, he got he had to sit out one game because he missed like a practice a few years ago or something like that but like it's he he's had nicks and bruises but he's never really had that one big injury and he's just which is shocking considering the way he plays and especially earlier in his career, the way he was throwing his body around with reckless abandon. And yeah, just the fact that he's still this physically imposing and also just like when he scores goals, he's just so excited. It's like, man, after doing it so many times, he's still so happy about it. It's 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 really fun to watch. And you're right. I think getting over Pittsburgh and finally making the conference final now and, you know, having a real series here and forcing it to seven games at the very least is... um bought them a lot of stock and i'm sure that people if they haven't already changed their tune will hopefully do so after this run i
0: i agree with everything you said the one thing i would say is i think last year he was probably more injured than we realized Mm. i I wasn't i forgot who wasn't there a big hit in the toronto series that yeah uh, 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 cadre got him i think yeah and I, I like he wasn't quite i remember watching that pittsburgh series and it just wasn't there and it, like plays that he would normally make weren't, weren't being made and i am sure after the afterwards stuff came out i don't remember now because like he's like you said i think i once i switched jobs i checked out completely because <laughs> i had like this little gap between uh, employees employees employers right. so I, I i'm sure it came out after but i do remember thinking boy this is as kind of banged up as I remember watching Ovechkin trying to play. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, I've been I've been surprised by um, how good the Capitals have been at five on five. Because um, I know, like heading into the series, that seemed like it was like okay, well, they're going to need the power play and they're going to need the goaltending. But I don't know if they're going to be able to hang with Tampa at five on five, especially after what yeah. we saw them do to Boston. And it's kind of been the opposite, like a, like a game, that game four where tampa bay won in washington it was like it was just all capitals and tampa bay got like a couple power play goals and vasilevsky was the best player i was like wait a second wasn't this washington's formula like what's going on right here? And, and for the most of the series they've either held serve or actually um definitely held their own and it's that's been the kind of the, the the surprising part to me and i just yeah they've really ramped up their game and after what i thought despite all the wins and losses was a relatively underwhelming regular season, at least by their standards. Um, they've proven people like myself wrong and it's been
0: They won the division, right?
1: Yeah, no they did. But it, it, it it's one of those it's it a bit of that was um, you know, they were overperforming the underlying numbers and another part of it was not kind of like maybe fatigue, uh, on our part where it's like, oh I, Right,
0: I, right. I'm, or like I, I'm oh, unimpr-
1: yeah. I'm un, I'm unimpressed by this. Let me let me see it in the postseason, right? So it was like
0: Yeah. You can only be burned so many like I remember last year telling Capitals fans, because 'cause they're also um trepidatious about getting behind this team and i'm like look you can unabashedly support this capitals team like this is a great team they're gonna make a run there's no you know as long as they stay healthy you should feel good about this team and of course they lose to to the penguins in round two but the, the one thing i was it's you bring that up about kind of the regular season i remember talking to john carlson early on in the playoffs and and I, you know, I I I phrased the question, something along the lines of, you know, you guys are still kind of figuring things out. And what I meant was how to win in the playoffs, but like he heard it as this season, like how to succeed as a team. Hmm. And he did the same thing. He's like we won our division, but you know, like, I think we figured it out how to win with this group. And I'm like, no, you know, and then I didn't want to like correct him and be like, no, I'm talking about all this, the horrible playoffs you guys have had in the past. Like, that's what I'm talking about here. But <laughs> I, like, they weren't, they weren't a bad team. Right. And the other thing, you know, I was watching, watching TJ Oshie score on what was a great pass from Backstrom mm-hmm. last night. Um, like that was another move where it just seemed so short sighted to, to trade, Marcus Johansson and to extend T.J. Oshie on a team where we're like, mm, you know, their, their best opportunity to win a cup is behind it, behind them. And, you know, if they win a cup this year, almost even if they go to the Stanley Cup final, I think that now all of a sudden that justifies that move, even though you're still on the hook for the next whatever it is, five or six years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't okay. know. Maybe not. maybe maybe we'll look back in a year and be like, oh, my gosh, 32 year old T.J. Oshie is, you know, a drag on this team. I don't know. I think
1: we would definitely will look back at it, but obviously if they have a cup <laughs> ring to show for it, I think, uh, Capital Doesn't Science matter. will be okay with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. okay. Well, speaking of TJ Oshie, and you mentioned Eric, uh, John Carlson there. Sorry. Um, it's a good segue for us to, I know we want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, this summer and potential avenues for various teams to, explore you you know both what they could do and maybe what they should or what they will uh, because those are sometimes different things Um, and yeah I know I know we still have some playoff hockey here but at this point of the year I really start kind of like finding myself looking ahead and trying to sort of fantasy book stuff and wonder what's going to happen so I think you know let's close the show by doing a little bit of that all right so what's what's the team to start this off what's the team that you're looking at this summer that you're sort of Eyeing or you're or you're circling, as the team that is the most interesting to you from like a you know they're at a bit of a crossroads and they could really go two different
0: ways. Like, is there one that really stands out yes. to you above the rest? Well, all right, I've got I've got one in each conference. This is almost like we prepared, which we didn't at all. We for didn't this.
1: no? We're, we're, I mean, you know, we're we're both pretty smart guys, so I, I'm yeah. not surprised
0: we're making it work. So. Though in the East, it's the New York Islanders, kind of in light of the Lou Lamarillo situation. Mm-hmm. Because um, watching, I, I've got this uh, CBC feed, and um, the, so I'm watching Elliot Friedman during intermission last night, and he kind of casually drops, you know. So th- obviously, we've already heard that Lou Lamarillo has reached out to the John Tavares camp, which may or may not be. <laughs> Like legal, I don't right. know how that works, yeah. but it's okay. We're gonna let that because it's, it's Lou Lamarillo, Lou. right? It's Lou. Who's like, Lou, call him on, like are you gonna tell him he can't do that? Yeah. So, um, so you know, so now that becomes the the storyline where we all are just assuming Tavares is gone at this point, or you know, which you have to because, or else why wouldn't he have signed? And now all of a sudden, okay, you've got Lou Lamarillo. and and Elliot kind of casually drops, "Hey, don't be surprised if Lou makes a huge push for Ilya Kovalchuk. and. Now you know, in, in perhaps an attempt to convince John Tavares to s- stick around, it, like that to me becomes this huge swing. If if Tavares walks and maybe you don't get Ilya Kovalchuk, now you're right back into a rebuild situation and with the Islanders. Or if that if if Lou is able to pull that off, you've got this ridiculous line combination uh, potentially on a team that now is a is a wild card. So I. That, to me, is my Eastern Conference. And then my Western Conference version is the Chicago Blackhawks. Only because I recently did a um, top 20 UFA, and, and I try to make calls on every single guy that I put on the list just to get a an update. And more than one person to me said, man, keep an eye on the Blackhawks. That's that's a team where you know, you're know you really getting the sense that Stan Bowman wants to do something big this offseason. And I haven't looked at their cap. Like, with the Blackhawks, I always assume they're just up against the cap and there's nothing they can do. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't sound like that's the case. It's not, you know, the message coming from Chicago to the, you know, the free agent market is, hey, we're going to be in on some big pieces. And and so that to me indicates they're like, let's add one more giant piece to try to win, a, 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 you know, make another run with this group of Taves and Kane and Keith. And I find that fascinating because I, I wasn't sure what the best route to go with that group group is right now. And I guess I don't mind them make, making a, a, a push.
1: Yeah. Well, obviously, I mean, in our job, I mean, them doing something crazy would definitely be. I'm all for it. And It would give us something to talk about. I'm not sure if if I was building that team, what that would be right now. Um, but look, let's let's take that one by one. Let's talk about the Islanders okay. here for a second. So, I'm very curious to see. Um, you know, we only know kind of preliminary details right now, and we're not necessarily certain how everything's going to shake out there. Um, I actually like them bringing in Lou. Like, when 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 you heard that um what were your initial takeaways like are you do you think that's a good move for them
0: yeah i think so they so the, kind of the belief is that garth snow has some kind of crazy poison pill in his mm-hmm. contract that he's fired that he gets a ton of money or whatever it is like everyone I, I kind of alludes to this when you're talking to people so i was like how do you like clearly they have to make a change there like i mean i I have been so mismanaged and Garstone's a funny guy to evaluate because then everyone's like, he'll make moves that are great. And you're like, Holy cow. You know, you got that pick from the Oilers and Jordan Everly. Like there's, he makes, he makes these moves that, that, that you can, that are just uh, thievery. And then other times then, but when you step back and look at the full picture and this is a team that's been spinning its wheels, the Tavera situation potentially could be really screwed up. Um, I don't, you know, I, I didn't, I don't mind Lou Lamarillo coming in and providing some stability to me it's just what is that does he have complete power or you know does Gar snow I, I want to see some I want some answers in terms of what happens to Gar snow and and how that's going to work between the two of them
1: yeah well the reason why I, I said I like it is because it does feel like um, you know the one big issue with this franchise has, has has been especially this year we're all clamoring them for them to do something and they had a bunch of different interesting avenues to potentially pursue to make their team better. And they were just so kind of just conservative and, and reluctant to do so. Um, and yeah, they like uh, fix the goaltending. Yes. Yeah, just do like, something. Just, just do, do
0: something. Yeah. Try. Yeah.
1: yeah. Especially in this year, it's like John Tavares, my walk, literally do anything to show him do that anything. you're trying. Um, and so I feel pretty confident saying that Lou will at least, um, you know, be, be comfortable and be cool with uh, doing stuff. And so I'm, I'm all for that. And I mean, they 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 have those two picks there, right? They have the 12th and 13th, I believe. So, you know, that all of a sudden, if Tavares does start coming, does come back, and they have um, aspirations for actually finally doing something under Lou, like all of a sudden you get kind of frisky there. Like, there's there's a, different, a bunch of different machinations for them to to pursue. So, you're right. I think they're a very fascinating uh, crossroads team. The, the Blackhawks. Um, do you think they'd explore? attaching so they're the two first round picks um yeah obviously the second one is so late that it's not necessarily that valuable of an asset but they do have the eighth overall pick now the one potential route that i could see them taking if you as you say you know they're going to be frisky and free agency and they're going to open their doors to to potential big-time transactions is using that pick to potentially shed uh brent Seabrook's contract
0: hmm. i i don't think that that's the avenue to go, like if you're if you're really trying to make a push, then then you're using that pick to make an upgrade somewhere, not not free something up in the future, like brent Seabrook like that's gonna be an albatross, or arguably already is, but I mean that using that pick to move him to me would would help you three or four years down the road, and
1: well, it's, like i it's i mean it's seven million dollars in cap space almost like
0: the yeah, I guess to free up but i mean if you. I think if you, you know, with Marion Host's money coming off the books or whatever, like, I, like, let's say, I mean, just for the sake of this conversation, they go out and sign John Tavares and that's their big splash. Um, then you, you know, you can move Anisimov off at 4.5. Like, you can make some other moves without having to sacrifice that pick. Like, this is a team. I think you have to either trade that for a guy that's coming in right away that you think can help you win a Stanley Cup. Or just draft that player because you're gonna need an influx of young talent on that team on the cheap.
1: Yeah. I was looking at their books, man. Poor Brendan Saad. Um y- y- especially in that first round, it's just an entire love fest. Everyone's like, Oh my god, our Timmy Panarin, like, look how good he is. Can you believe that <laughs> they got a Brendan Saads like bad. sitting at home, like, oh Guys, come on! And, uh, I love Baranzotti. He's an awesome player, uh, such a good five on five guy. But yeah, he shoots like seven point six percent. Has just a woeful, uh, woeful down season, and I expect he'll bounce back next year. But yeah, he just just taking so many shots and hasn't even played in the postseason yet. It's...
0: Panarin took over that. That there was games. Panarin uh, was was unbelievable. Like I, I, I mean, it, it. Gosh, it just shows how long these playoffs are because that seems like ages ago, but. Um, I thought he was going to single-handedly eliminate the Capitals at one point. How good he was! I I think if you're if you're Chicago, I mean, you can still defend the trade. The the disappointment is Anton Forsberg, right? I think the belief was it was you know you were getting a guy that you could feel pretty confident was going to back up Corey Crawford, and then um, you know indications were last year that you know maybe that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. But I mean, he was a guy that his AHL numbers were great. I think I'm looking at his numbers now in Cleveland. 16-17 16, 17, at a 926 save percentage, and so, you know, here you are. Th- like that trade is much more defendable if, if Forsberg is the goalie you thought it was.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Obviously, yeah. I mean, it's a tough one, especially when Breenaren has the type of year he has, and he proved that he wasn't necessarily even playing with Patrick Kane. It was he was his own individual talent, and yeah, it's 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 a tough pill to swallow. But the team that I have out west that I think is more interesting than Chicago is san jose oh yeah and you know they tie into our conversation there with islanders and john Tavares, and uh if you're just looking at you know potential dominoes that could fall and how that could impact everything else like we've sort of heard them as a very realistic destination for him both because they have the cap space and because it just seems like it would make sense from a roster building perspective and um yeah like that would be fascinating i mean they have so much money to spend and we'll see if joe thornton can be healthy and if he comes back it seems like oh another one-year deal seems like a reasonable sort of middle ground for both parties uh what they do with Evander kane like there's there's a bunch of moving parts there as well and you know they showed this year that like they're a talented team they've sort of done a nice job there of bridging the gap where they have this newer wave of guys and timo meyer and kevin lebank and you know, Thomas Hurdle and some of these younger guys coming up and then obviously you still have the Coutures and the Pavelskis and Bren Burns and so they're trying to find that happy medium there and obviously getting a guy like John Tavares would do wonders for that but I'm sure that if they don't get him or they find out that he's going to stay or go somewhere else they have different avenues they could explore to use that money to to sort of reload and come back even better next season.
0: I mean, they're going to spend. Like okay. that's uh, Doug Wilson has been pretty upfront about that. Like looking at their structure right now, they only have two forwards that are signed after next season. Yeah. Uh, like what other veteran team is, is set up like that? Like that's that's pretty amazing. I don't know if Doug Wilson gets enough credit for uh, kind of his long-term vision and and how he has structured this because he has set this team up to have a, a really huge off-season and if that means signing if you know, not all, but if it's if it means they get John Tavares and Evander Kane, we're talking about San Jose basically pulling off a, a rebuild and adding lottery type talent, top you know five talent w- without ever being bad over the course of the last decade. Like that's that would be a success story.
1: The thing is, is if they strike out on John Tavares, yeah, um, I really, really very strongly dislike this year's free agent class i'm looking at the list of players right now and you know this is true most years but this year really it's like it's just a bunch of guys who are either, like on that edge there of like 29 30 31 that you just know as soon as that contract is announced it's gonna be like oh my god why are it's they, gonna be why, bad. why are they paying that player so much money into his 30s
0: and so it's all or nothing in your mind with San Jose. Like, they, they're either going to be have a huge great offseason. No. Like, how do you feel if they sign Kane and Van Riemsyke?
1: I would view that as a disappointment, I think. Um, just because, like, JBR's another guy. He's a bit younger than that, but... I think his contract is just going to be, it's its too lofty. And I think that's kind of the common right. thread here. Like I, we, you and I have this discussion, like you have to build a team and if you have the money to spend, obviously having cap space and retaining it is an asset in and of itself. But also like sometimes it's just the reality of the business. And sometimes if you want to add a certain guy into the mix, you have to pay a bit extra to get him. And I understand that, but I, I, and this isn't going to happen because we, you know, we saw this last summer with Leon Seidel and we know the NHL, uh, these guys stick together, the GMs do, and they're not going to go behind each other's backs and sign their, sign each other's guys to, uh, offer sheets. But like, this really does feel like the summer where if you have money to spend and you're looking to get feisty, um, I would explore the RFA market much more than throwing a ton of money at the UFA. All right.
0: Well, so if we, go down that path. Yeah. The GM stick together for the most part, or however you want to describe the lack of offer sheets Mm. with a couple notable exceptions. And one of those guys is in San Jose. I mean, he's, he did the Jarmolson offer sheet a few years ago. I promise you he was going to offer sheet Martin Jones. If the Kings held on to him that one summer before trading him to Boston, like that was, that was happening. And I, you know, I think they were happy to do that. So I haven't looked at the RFA class. I think this is probably a good story to, to examine at some point. Mm. But philosophically, just in general terms, Doug Wilson is more than happy to to, to throw an offer sheet out there. And maybe that's like, the better path if you don't get Tavares.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's obviously, like, if you want to go big. Bigger... They don't have
0: picks, though, just for the record. Like, they've traded a lot of their picks.
1: Yeah. But for other teams, like, you know, a guy like Mark Stone or Jacob Truba, like, they're guys who are obviously, like, awesome players, and their teams want to keep them but at the same time like if you reach a certain level of that deal like their their hands just might be tied a little bit there and I, i've there's a bunch of names there that i would much rather explore than giving you know 32 year old paul stasny a five-year deal just because he's a <laughs> right. post-season and he's gonna bring a lot to the locker room like i i would stay away from
0: stuff like that no i think that's fair i think the, i think the offer sheet i with san jose having money and then you have you do have like these younger GMs coming in who I th- probably, you know, Kyle Dubas, like how is, how does him becoming a GM change the dynamic there? Like I, he strikes me as a guy that wouldn't mind doing it. John Chaika, if they had any money whatsoever would probably be a guy that would be okay doing it. So I think it's, I haven't thought about it, but I think that's an interesting point because you're right. Like, you know, signing, signing Mark stone is a, it's an infinitely better idea than, a 32 year old uh, to a six year contract like because look what the standard has been it's been those Louis erickson you know david backus uh andrew ladd it's all those six times six contracts that are almost outdated the the moment they sign and you would think people have noticed
1: yeah i will yeah they're uh i'd love to see some of that but i uh i've had a bit of the fun being anatomy over the years so hopefully uh that changes and we do see some of that. I don't know. Is there any other teams that you're keeping an eye on? I mean, this, this really is, does feel like that summer. I've, I talked about Chris Johnson on a podcast recently. It's like the next summer is the one where it really feels like 2019 to get really crazy. And obviously by then, um, you know, like we've already heard about the, the OEL extension that's coming up. And, you know, I'm sure some of these guys will wind up just sticking around. And by the time we get to July 1st, 2019, they won't be up for consideration anymore. But, just based on some of the name brand value that's potentially available, like that, it seems like that could be the summer where things really, really get interesting. As opposed to this one, like this one feels like, you know, last year we obviously had the expansion draft and it, everyone was super excited about all the machinations of that, and then we have the summer of 2019. This does feel like one of those bridge summers where, we're not, I don't well, think anything like, too crazy is going to happen.
0: I th- well, I, the the wild card is yeah, that 2019 class is great. And I think that plays a part in this summer because if you're if you have one of those guys, you have to entertain moving them this, at the draft or this summer, don't you? Like if Coyotes end up not getting that deal done with Ekman Larson by July first, man, I'm I'm looking hard at what my other options are. Same with Carlson. So that's where that's what makes the 18 summer interesting is is those free agents and and what that means to the trade market, if anything.
1: You're right. You know, as crazy as it sounds, I didn't even factor in the very realistic possibility that Eric Carlson gets moved this summer. Like, it's just. Yeah, like it almost trade deadline the seems, seems deadline like day. so like, long ago, though. Like, as you mentioned, the first round seems like a while ago. Like, man, the start of March, that seems like ages ago. I, I, it feels like a different year. I, I don't even remember. Does going Vegas
0: on make the run they make now if they close that deal with Ottawa and get Carlson? Uh, I mean,.
1: It, the wild thing is, is like probably not because it's all of the like it's, it's just so stupid and, and, and sports is just so weird. And like, obviously, clearly adding Eric Carlson uh, makes their team significantly Brett, better. Right, you think, but on <laughs> uh, paper,
0: yes, they're, they're a better team. But now all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is, you know,
1: uh, he'd ruin their chemistry,
0: he'd throw that room out of whack. He would... Who knows? Who knows? I mean, how would, or, how or would... now we're expecting, like, I picked against Vegas every single series. So, you know. We talked about the capitals and expectations. Now you make this gigantic deadline deal, um, you know, instead of the Tatar deal. And I I mean, I don't know, who knows? But it certainly changes the dynamic there.
1: How do you think he's gonna cope with being the second best Carlson on his team on his team? <laughs>
0: That's right. He's gotta <laughs> deal with that. <laughs> um
1: uh. all right. Um do we wanna uh is this the point of the show where we wanna switch over to your podcast?
0: Yes. Let's change gears.
1: Let's so do that. It, Plug some let's, stuff for us before we get out. What's of that? There. Plug some stuff for us where can yeah, where I'll can plug, people listen right, to you and I talk? Keep talking.
0: The, let's. I'm going to plug the Full 60, which is a podcast. This week's guest is the talented Dmitry Filipovich, and we're excited to have him on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to plug the Athletic as always. If you are a fan of hockey, it's like we had a special. I think we're 40 off with the draft. Like Corey Prime dropped six million words yesterday on the draft, and it's it comes out to like 30 cents a day to. To subscribe to read all that great stuff coming with the draft so and the playoffs with pierre lebron and scott burnside on that on that every day and always good to plug the book behind the bench where i sat down with 10 coaches and watched game film with them uh it's the feedback from you guys on that book has been awesome i love that the podcast you and i did on that that was one of the best ones i did when i was plugging the book a lot it
1: was it's one of my favorites are you planning on doing like a updated edition with your travels from the world championships where you add a bonus chapter (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah the uh the who won gold sweden you yeah. know the i their coach was was a guy that i was hearing when i was over there like maybe the rangers were in the mix i i think that's a, an interesting area to explore someday the idea of one of these european coaches coming over and getting an nhl job i think that's going to happen
1: he has been I've, I've seen his name tied to certain teams and you know he grew out that massive beard and you, you see that gif of him celebrating after they won like it was it was it was <laughs> awesome so i'm uh, i'm all about that
0: yeah, so so coming next year the European version of behind the bench. There so we go. So you have that to look forward to.
1: All right, man. Um I was gonna say we should, we'll talk soon, but we will literally keep talking after I press and Here's... end recording. So
0: <laughs> Awesome. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Philipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast.